Thank you for listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church, where our goal is to know Jesus and make Jesus known. To learn more about Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Josh Murray. All right. Well, good morning, church family. How's everybody doing this morning? Hey, it's good to see you. I want to welcome you to Canyon Creek. I also want to welcome those who are joining us online from home for our live stream service. We're glad uh, that you're tuning in today. And if you're here joining us for the first time or maybe for the first time in a long time, I want to ask that you would do me a favor. And that is that at some point during our service today, take a second to fill out our Connect card. It's real simple. We just want your name and phone number. Uh, We're not going to call you during dinner. We just want to get some information from you so that we can serve you the best way that we can. There's a few ways for you to do this. You can point your phone's camera to the QR code on the screen behind me, which will direct you to our website. You can also text the word guest to the number on the screen behind me, or if you received a bulletin on your way in, you can fill that out, tear it out, and drop it in the plates as you leave today. Again, we just want to get some information from you and serve you the best way that we can. If you're memorizing through scripture with us this year, I want to give you our verse for the week, Romans chapter 6, verse 23. This is what it says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Praise him for that. If you're just joining us today, we're in the third week of this series called Difficult People, all right? And by now, you should know not to take a look around at the people sitting next to you when we say that. But in this series, for the last few weeks, we've been taking a look at some passages in the book of James, because James has some very practical advice when it comes to relationships. He talks about how we can live in harmony with one another. He talks about how we can make peace in the relationships in our lives. And everything he has to say is very practical. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me this morning to James chapter 3. We're going to pick up right where we left off last week. You can also follow along with our event in the YouVersion Bible app. But two weeks ago when we started this series, I gave you a little bit of background information about James, and I want to remind you of that this morning. James was the half-brother of Jesus. So he knew Jesus, he grew up with Jesus, but he didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after his death and resurrection. So James had this encounter with the resurrected Christ, and that encounter was powerful enough that James would then give the rest of his life boldly leading the movement that Jesus started. And while he was leading the church, the church had to scatter. They were dispersed around because persecution had begun, and Christians were sort of spread all over uh, the city of Jerusalem. And with that, they were being persecuted, they were being chased, they were being hunted down. So they were kind of all over the place. And when that's how you live your life, you learn very quickly just how much you need other people. And I think sometimes we get a little bit too comfortable by ourselves that we forget just how much we need the other people that God has put in our lives. So James, he writes this letter to this scattered church, and he's basically saying, hey, you need to get along better, all right? You need to do better than this. You need to to really love one another. He gives us some advice. Here's what you need to do to really relate to one another. Here's what you need to do to accept one another. And in one passage, James even tells them, don't let there be any division between rich or poor before Christ because we're all the same. He says, don't let there be a a situation where someone comes into your church and they're not received because they're different. Maybe it's their background or their appearance or something else. James has a lot to say about that. 
He talks about forgiveness and healing and grace and restoration and confession, all kinds of things that help us in our relationships with other people. And I believe that this is so important for us to talk about because every single one of us has relationships in our lives, right? Remember, we're all human and we all have relationships with other humans. They may be good, they may be bad, they may be somewhere in between, they might be healthy, they might be unhealthy. Some are marriage relationships, some are dating relationships. Some of you are trying to avoid both of those things and that's all right. Some are family relationships, co-working relationships, lifelong friends, new friends, neighborhood friends, church friends. The point is this, we all have relationships with other people and we desperately need to figure out how to get along better. And here's why. Because if you follow Jesus, you're going to be around other people forever, all right? In other words, if you don't like being around other people, you're not gonna like heaven very much. That's the truth. And this life that we're living right now is just a practice run. This is where we're getting ready for eternity with God and with others. So I really want us, as we continue in this series, to just soak up what James is saying, all right? And there's something that I want us to understand as we jump in this morning, and this will sort of lay the foundation for what we're going to talk about today, and that's this, that a lot of our relationships at times struggle and fall apart because we choose to follow our feelings, all right? We choose to follow our heart. We go with what we feel. We go with our emotions. And the reason that we go with our feelings and our emotions is because we like to make huge mistakes. And one of the huge mistakes that we make oftentimes is considering or treating our feelings as truth, okay? And what do I say about feelings? Feelings are always real, but they're not always true. And a lot of times we treat our feelings as though they're true and we choose to follow them. In other words, what I feel in the moment, what I think in the moment, whatever emotion I'm feeling today, I treat it as a fact. I treat it as truth. So when I feel rejected or when I feel like someone's not approving of me or when I feel like someone's not accepting me or when I feel like someone's pushing me away, when I feel like something's wrong, that feeling then becomes a fact. And then what I do in response to that typically is I start to protect myself, right? We start to cover our bases. We make sure everything's gonna be okay. We have to remember that yes, our feelings are always real, but they're not always true. And we like to mess things up. And it happens very easily and very quickly when we take our feelings and treat them as truth, okay? That's a part of our human condition. That's where we are. Relationships fall apart because our feelings get hurt. Relationships fall apart because we get offended. Relationships fall apart because we follow our feelings. Now, sometimes, of course, it's bigger than that, right? But it usually starts there. It starts with our feelings getting hurt because we treat our feelings as truth and that blossoms into more misunderstanding, that blossoms into more miscommunication, more problems, and before long, our relationship has fallen apart because we've made the huge mistake of following our feelings, all right? So again, James writes this book to the church that's scattered and persecuted. And right in the middle of this book in James chapter three, he spends some time talking about how wisdom can impact our relationships. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. 
We're going to talk about how our relationships will be healthier when we learn to apply God's wisdom and grace to the context of our everyday relationships, all right? Your relationship with God, your relationship with your spouse, with your family, your kids, your coworkers, your friends, all of these relationships will be stronger and healthier when you know God's wisdom and grace and when you apply that wisdom and grace to your relationships, all right? Now, while we're on the subject of feelings, I wanna add this. Feelings and emotions in and of themselves aren't bad, okay? Feelings aren't bad. As a matter of fact, it's probably a pretty good thing to feel things. If you don't have any feelings, you should probably see a therapist so that you can figure out why you don't have feelings. So feelings aren't a bad thing, but feelings should always be the result of what truth has done in my life. Does that make sense? Feelings should be the result of truth, not the other way around. Truth should not be the result of my feelings, but we're sometimes guilty of of switching that up so that our feelings end up defining truth, and that's a very dangerous place for us to be because feelings are always real, but they're not always true, all right? So one of the reasons our relationships fall apart is because we make decisions based on our feelings rather than on truth. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna talk about truth. We're gonna talk about some things that should change our minds, some things that should shift our our thinking, reframe the way we think. These are things that we have to keep coming back to again and again and again. Something I learned in my early 20s very quickly, was that my feelings are completely undependable, right? Has anybody learned that lesson? Your feelings are completely undependable. I learned that if I give in to all of my emotional impulses, I'm gonna get myself in trouble. And I haven't perfected it by any means, but I've learned to, in the moment, back up and say, okay, I know I'm feeling this way right now. I know this emotion has taken hold of my life, but before I act on it, I have to go back and remind myself of the truth. And I have to learn to rely on the truth until my feelings and my emotions settle down. We have to learn to rely on the truth until our feelings and our emotions come back to a level place, all right? So let's take a look at what James says. We're gonna pick, off right, pick up right where we left off. James chapter three, verse 13. Here's what he, he asks us a question. Who among you is wise in understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. Everybody say wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, wavering and without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. All right. Now I'm willing to bet that we probably all have the same goal when it comes to our relationships. I think that we would all say, I want to have peace in my relationships. How many of you want to have peace in your relationships, right? According to James, there's a pathway to get there. 
And the pathway to having peace in your relationships is absorbing and living out the wisdom and truth that God has revealed to us in his word. And James just lays it out for us one point after another. He says, hey, if you're experiencing a lack of peace, you need to check your heart. You need to look inside because oftentimes there's jealousy and envy and strife. But if you want to experience peace, if you want to get along, if you want things to click, then you need to walk in humility and remind yourselves of the wisdom that God has given us. So in this passage, James essentially contrasts two different scenarios. And one scenario is a life that is always a mess and is always making more messes. And we've talked about that before, right? That we're all broken. We're all a mess. We're probably more of a mess than we realize. And if you call yourself a hot mess, that's a big part of your mess, all right? That's one scenario. But the other scenario that James talks about is the scenario where we live a life that seeks peace, giving peace, making peace, getting along, having stronger, healthier relationships. And the pathway to get there is applying God's truth and wisdom to our relationships, all right? So from this passage that we just read, I wanna give you three facts that I believe to be true. Remember, these things are true because they come from God's word. My feelings, on the other hand, are not always true. So these three statements are things that are true regardless of my feelings, regardless of my circumstances, regardless of my emotions. It doesn't matter how someone makes me feel. It doesn't matter what happens. It doesn't matter who criticizes me or questions me or tries to make me doubt. I know that these things are true because they come from God's word. All right, you with me this morning? Here's the first one, number one. My relationships suffer when my approach is what can I get from this, all right? In this passage that we just read, James chapter three, verses 13 through 18, there's two scenarios, like I just said, two paragraphs. And the first paragraph is basically a biography of somebody who's in it for themselves. And in a sense, who's he talking about? All of us, right? He's talking about all of humanity. In other words, this is a very common problem. Our intuition, our instinct, our default, our nature is to try to make myself as happy and as comfortable as I can possibly be. In other words, we tend to be pretty selfish, all right? Now, there are people who overcome that every day. There are people who rise above the selfishness, but in our natural selves, in who we are without the grace and wisdom of God, we tend to be very selfish. We tend to look out for ourselves. We tend to look out for our own good and our own happiness and our own comfort and our own pleasure. And we approach our relationships saying, what can I get out of this? What can this relationship do for me? And if that's our approach in any relationship, it's going to suffer. Let's look again at what James says. He says, who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. Here's the selfishness. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. 
Now, I don't think if you get jealous, you need to start casting out demons, all right? I don't think that's what James is saying. James is simply saying that the source of these attitudes is not from what the creator put in us, all right? The source of jealousy, the source of envy, of insecurity, that is never from God. It's always from our own human nature. And when I'm living and walking in my own human nature, I tend to live for jealousy and selfishness and things that simply do not come from God. But James closes this idea and he says, for where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice. In other words, when I choose to live that way, my relationships are going to suffer, all right? I'm convinced that the reason that so many marriages fall apart is because of the fact that up until marriage, we've spent our entire lives only looking out for ourselves, right? And I love that newlywed confidence You know what I'm talking about? That newlywed confidence. Everybody tells those newlyweds, hey, this is gonna get difficult. And the newlyweds are probably thinking, oh, these people just don't know what love really is, right? The newlyweds, man, they have it mastered. Their feelings are never gonna change. And here's what happens. Two selfish human beings get married. And so far, they've spent their entire lives only looking out for themselves, And now they have to look out for each other. And it's hard. If you want your marriage to improve, make your life less about you and more about your spouse every day. Lay down a little bit of your will, a little bit of your preferences, as hard as that is. So my relationships are gonna suffer when my approach is, what do I get from this? Here's the thing. As long as you're ruled by fear, you're going to manipulate and control all of the people in your life. According to James, bitter envy and selfish ambition These are the things that dominate my relationships when I'm living outside of God's grace and wisdom and truth. Bitter envy and selfish ambition are a picture of what your relationships look like when you're living outside of God's grace. So when I focus on what I can get out of this, when I focus on what this person can do for me, and how they can make me happier, and how they can make me more comfortable, and how they can make me feel better about myself, I'm setting myself up for a relationship that's going to be a disaster. It's gonna fall apart, and here's why. At our root and core, not only are we selfish, we're also incredibly insecure, all right? I'm convinced, here's my bold claim of week three of this series. If we can cure our insecurity, we will be unstoppable. Every one of us, we carry around this insecurity, whether we realize it or not, whether we're aware of it or not. You might think I'm the least insecure person on the planet. That's probably not true, okay? Because even when you don't realize it, even when you don't see it, insecurity is constantly coming out. And when insecurity comes out, we immediately feel the need to overcompensate for that insecurity by protecting ourselves. Now, what am I doing? I'm looking out for myself. And we do that in so many different ways. Some of us, we put up a wall and we shut down. We push people away. Others of us lash out. But where does that insecurity come from? Here's what I believe. I believe insecurity is the result of comparison because we're constantly looking around and comparing ourselves to everyone else. And social media has made it very easy for us to do that, right? Social media has made it very hard for us to 
avoid comparison. We get on Instagram and we see these people and we think, man, if I just had what they had, then I'd be so much happier. I'd feel so much better about myself. My life would be so much better. And when we think those thoughts, we plant these deep-rooted insecurities like trees in a forest every single time we compare ourselves to someone else. Now, I think social media can be a powerful tool, but really what it's doing is it's feeding our sense of jealousy and envy because we're just using it to compare our very real lives to what we're seeing on the surface of someone else's life, okay? Let me just tell you, Instagram is not reality. I have yet to see a couple take a selfie without arguing, all right? Instagram is not reality. We struggle deeply with insecurity for a number of reasons, but I truly believe that one of the main reasons we're so insecure is because we get stuck in comparison, and we compare our lives to the highlight reel of the very best moments we're seeing in someone else's life. And every time that happens, another insecurity tree is planted in the forest of my brain. And as soon as my forest is full of insecurity trees, here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna shut down. My sense of identity is going to change. I'm gonna put my walls up. I'm gonna lash out and a whole lot of ugliness is gonna come out. Listen, we need to start cutting down some of those trees because the root of insecurity is failing to understand the sufficiency of the approval of God. That's where it comes from. The Bible tells us that if you trust in Jesus, then you're accepted, you're approved, you're a child of God. He delights in you, he loves you. But when we distance ourselves from that truth and when we forget that, my focus very quickly turns to, am I good enough? And then I wind myself right back into insecurity again. All right, you with me this morning? My relationships suffer when my approach is what can I get from this? Here's the second thing, number two. My relationships grow when I learn to depend on God's wisdom. My relationships grow when I learn to depend on God's wisdom. Verse 17 James says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without pretense. Let me put it plainly for you this morning. You need God's wisdom. You need God's truth in your life because without God's wisdom, you're gonna struggle. Without God's wisdom, your relationships are gonna struggle. If you wanna have healthier relationships, I believe with everything in me that the word of God can provide you with the wisdom that you need to make your relationships stronger and healthier. Listen, I don't know about you, but I completely trust the Bible as a source of truth and wisdom and knowledge. It teaches me about God. It teaches me about myself. It teaches me about you. It teaches me about the world that we live in. Listen, nobody knows you better than the God who created you. Nobody knows humanity better than the God who created us and put us all here together. In 2 Timothy chapter three, Paul writes to Timothy and he says this in verse 15, you know that from infancy you have known the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom. There's that word again, for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. He goes on to say, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, 
for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Okay? It's really funny to me that in the church today, particularly among leaders in the church, there's quite a lot of debate going on about the purpose of the Bible. Some church leaders are saying, well, the Bible is the inspired word of God. It is fully true and it directly applies to every area of my life and teaches me how to live. And that's great. Other church leaders are saying, well, yes and no. Some parts are, some parts aren't. Some parts are cultural, some parts apply to my life. A lot of it's probably true, but not all of it directly applies to me. I don't know about you, but these verses in 2 Timothy settle the argument for me. Paul says, you know the sacred scriptures, which are able to give you wisdom for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, what is the purpose of the Bible? It points me to Jesus and his saving power. Right? What do we sing as kids? Jesus loves me, this I know. How do you know? Because the Bible tells me so, right? The Bible leads me to have life in Jesus. And Paul goes on to say it's profitable for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So in these three verses, according to what Paul is saying, the Bible serves two very important purposes. One, it leads me to have life in Jesus. And two, it gives me the wisdom that I need for my life here on earth. And you can't separate one from the other. It teaches me about the salvation of my soul and how to live my life practically on a daily basis. And there's never been a greater manual on how to live life than the fully inspired and true word of God. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for God's word. I'm thankful that he didn't leave us empty-handed. He created us in his image and then he hands us a collection of 66 books full of wisdom. And he says, this is what you need. And I know you need it because I know you. Here's the wisdom you need. Here's how you can live your life in a redeemed way. Here's how you can live your life under grace. The Bible is full of wisdom from God, from cover to cover. We have a whole book, the book of Proverbs, specifically is a book full of wisdom. That's all it is. Listen, we can't treat the book of Proverbs like a bunch of promises that we claim because Proverbs isn't a book of promises, it's a book of wisdom. And it basically says, hey, if you do things this way, your life is gonna be so much more meaningful. And if you don't, your life is gonna be so much more difficult. But the Bible from cover to cover, it's God's, God's wisdom that he has revealed to us. And it covers everything you need to know, everything. It covers everything you need to know about finances from how you spend and how you borrow, even interest payments, all the way to friendships and marriages and relationships. It talks about submissiveness and servanthood and leadership and faith and boldness and confidence. And most importantly, it teaches us about Jesus and his saving work on the cross. We need God's wisdom. The Bible is a book that teaches us how to live out our faith in Jesus. And we desperately need the help. Okay, my relationships grow when I learn to depend on God's wisdom. You'll find it in his word, which leads us to the final thing, number three. My relationships thrive now when my approach is how can I invest in this? This question will revolutionize the relationships of your life. 
when I'm no longer just taking, when I'm no longer just in it for me, when I'm no longer just absorbing, I'm not asking what can I get out of this? I'm not asking what can this person do for me? I'm not asking is this really making me happy? Instead, I'm asking what can I bring to this? What can I invest in this? What can I contribute to this? How can I make this person's life better? In the first paragraph of the passage we read today, James talks about our selfishness. He talks about bitter envy. He talks about selfish ambition. He talks about insecurity and how it comes out as jealousy and arguing and fighting. And then the second paragraph is a picture of what my relationships will look like when I'm secure and selfless enough to invest in someone else. And it takes us a lifetime to figure that out. Listen, I'm no master at being selfless in my relationships, but I can tell you that I'm learning these lessons each and every day. When we invest in relationships, that's what happens. We need to work on doing this. In the last two verses, verse 17, James says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. And I want you to pay careful attention to that last verse, that the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. In other words, when you start to apply God's wisdom to your relationships, when you sow into them, when you invest in them, you sow into your relationships what you hope to get from them. But you don't do it to reap a reward. You do it because you truly want to invest in this person's life. And James gives us a few qualities of godly wisdom that we should invest. He says, pure, peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense. Listen, these qualities come from the wisdom of God and we need to apply this godly wisdom when we invest in the lives of other people. So instead of looking at a relationship and wondering what you can get out of it, understand this, you get out of a relationship what you invest in it. We need to cultivate healthy relationships with people. And I love that James uses the word cultivate because I love the word cultivate. We get the word culture from it. We get the word agriculture from it. In an agricultural sense, cultivation is when we prepare the soil for us to plant something in it. And then after some time, something comes up out of the ground and you pick it and you hopefully wash it and then you eat it. We get to enjoy what we've cultivated. Now, here's the thing about cultivation. It's incredibly messy. You're going to get some dirt on your jeans. You're going to get some dirt under your fingernails. Things are going to get messy in the process. And our relationships are the same way. They're hard. They're difficult. They're messy. Why? Because we're human. And we're broken. And we sin. And this requires us to get our hands dirty. In other words, if you want stronger and healthier relationships, it's not gonna be easy. There's gonna be a mess involved. But relationships grow stronger and deeper as we approach them in a healthy way. Listen, we need to get our hands in the soil and cultivate life in peace in our relationships. 
We need to invest in people. So what do we invest? I'm gonna boil it down to one single word because this is what God uses to relate to us. What do we invest in people? What do we invest in our relationships? One word, we invest grace. Grace. But in order for us to invest grace, we have to humble ourselves. In order for us to invest grace, we have to receive grace. In order for us to invest grace, we first have to learn what grace is. And we learn what grace is by watching Jesus. In order to invest grace, we have to overcome insecurity. In order to invest grace, we have to rise above selfishness. In order for us to invest grace, we have to have a proper balance of justice and mercy. In order for us to invest grace, we have to see in other people a need for grace and be willing to give it. And here's why this is so hard for us. This is hard because grace doesn't make sense. It's not fair. It's frustrating. You're going to give grace and you're probably going to get hurt again. What do I say to that? More grace. Try again. Now, again, let me clarify. I've tried to include this in every week of this series. When the Bible talks about meekness and humility and grace and mercy, I don't believe the Bible's telling us that we need to just stay put in an abusive relationship and show mercy and grace. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at. Think if you're in an abusive relationship, you need to get out. If you're not being treated right, you need to leave. Think about it this way. If you're staying in an abusive relationship, you're disobeying God's command to protect the temple of the body, okay? So don't hear what I'm not saying. But here's what I found to be true in my own life. Nothing has made me feel more dependent on the grace of God than the grace other people have been willing to show me in moments when I needed it most. Does that make sense? And I know it's hard. And I know it doesn't make sense. I know it's hard to just keep giving grace when someone just keeps hurting you in return. I know it's hard to just keep giving it out when there's never a payoff. I know how frustrating it can be, but I also know this. God has been so incredibly patient with us. While we as human beings have walked away from him and sinned and gone our own way like sheep without a shepherd, the Bible calls us stubborn and stiff-necked people who resist the grace of God, avoid the truth of God, and withdraw from the presence of God. We try our best to do our own thing and push God away. And what does God do in response to that? He just keeps giving us more grace. He just keeps coming after us and chasing us and pursuing us and giving us more and more and more grace. You might not believe it. You might not understand it. But even while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us when we were at our most unlovable And even when we resist him, he just keeps pursuing us. Even as you push him away, even as you come up with reasons and excuses to not trust in him and submit to him, his grace is just gonna keep knocking on the door of your life until you finally realize just how much he loves you. Listen, if God's grace can save a heart like mine and yours, then there is no one who is beyond the reach of God's grace. 
God's grace is the most powerful force on planet earth. I am completely convinced of that. Remember back in week one, we talked about being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. In the very next verse, what does James say? He says, for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. The problem is we don't really live like that verse is true. We don't really live like we believe that for human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. We're like, yeah, whatever, out the door. We're not convinced, right? Because there are certainly a lot of times where we feel like our own fury and our own anger will accomplish something, but it never seems to do so, right? Our anger, our reactions, our rage, we think, you know what? If I just get loud enough, then I'll be able to force this person to change. We think if I just manipulate this situation the right way, if I just twist the conversation, if I just get really angry, then I'll get my way. Then their perspective will change. But it never does. (laughs) It never seems to accomplish what we really crave Because what we really need deep down is to know the love of God. What we really need is to know that as awful as I can be, as distant as I can be, as cold as I can be, that he still loves me. That he still gives me grace. And nothing motivates me to want to give grace to others more than how it's been freely given to me. All right. So with these three truths, if you want healthier relationships, and I think you do, here's the formula. Here are the steps that we need to take based on the points that I made today. Three things. Humble yourself, depend on God's wisdom, and show grace, even when it doesn't make sense. That's it. That's the formula. Now we could spend weeks unpacking those three things, right? We could go through the fruit of the Spirit, We could talk about the Beatitudes. We could walk through Proverbs and learn wisdom for all of these things. We could discover all sorts of principles for communication. We could discover all sorts of principles for understanding. We could discover all kinds of principles for navigating feelings and emotions. We could talk about all of these issues that we probably all need counseling for. We could spend weeks on this. But what is the five second answer? How can I have healthier relationships? How can I get along with someone? How can I have better relationships, stronger relationships? How do I fix this? Humble yourself, depend on God's wisdom and show grace even when it doesn't make sense. And here's why it works. It works because grace changes everything. Listen, there's power in being a grace giver. And you know what? Jesus went first. When it's hard and it's difficult and you feel like you don't have any grace left to give, look at the cross. Change your perspective. Think about all the steps and stops that Jesus made on his way there. Jesus stopped in the garden of Gethsemane and he prayed to God. He said, God, should I do this or should I not? If there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, he says, it's not my will but your will. In other words, I'll do it. I'll bear the burden of sin for all of humanity. I'll go to the cross. And sure enough, he was arrested. And how many different trials did Jesus face in that one night? Six. In one night, Jesus was on six different trials. Listen, he could have stopped it at any point. 
He could have said, you know what, God? Let's just kill them all and be done with this. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of the false accusations. I'm tired of being rejected. I came to serve and I got nothing. This is what they're doing to me. He could have said that, right? But what did he do? He kept going. He endured six trials and then they beat him half to death and nailed him to a cross and some dude named Simon helped him carry that cross all the way to Golgotha. And with every step he took, he said, I'm gonna keep going because I know they need grace. Even when they don't deserve it, they need to know the love of God. So he kept going. He went first, he showed grace, he showed mercy, and he hung on that cross for six hours until he finally died and darkness fell over the whole earth. He did it. He accomplished everything he needed to accomplish. He accomplished everything God sent him to do. He took the burden of our sin and died to pay the debt that we could never repay. Why? Why did he do it? Why did he allow it? Why did he keep going? He did it for you. He did it to save you, to set you free, to pay for your sin. And he rose from the grave to make salvation possible for every single one of us who calls on his name. That's what he did and that's why he did it. If you're struggling to give grace to someone in your life, look at the cross. And when you truly understand the grace of God, when you understand the magnitude of God's grace, when you understand the depth and the width and the height of his love for you, it's going to change your life forever. It's gonna break your heart and it's gonna humble you and it's gonna make you say, I desperately need this grace. And as soon as you've exhausted your supply of grace, God's gonna give you more, all right? So as we close today, I wanna ask you a couple questions. I want us to ponder these questions. The first question is this, what's stopping me? What's stopping me from being completely won over by the incredible grace of God? What's stopping me? And the second one is this, what's holding me back? This question is a little bit different. What's holding me back from sharing the grace of God with all of the other people in my life? What's keeping me from being a grace giver. I shared this a few weeks ago, but I spent a lot of years trying with everything in me to please people. I spent a lot of years trying to keep everyone happy and it created a lot of stress and a lot of unhappiness and a lot of insecurity and judgment and all these kinds of things. And when I finally came to the realization that I'm desperate and helpless without the grace of God, everything changed. And now I bow before him and I receive grace that I don't deserve. And I trust in a love and a mercy that I don't fully understand, but I believe it with everything in me. And we could sit here all day and we could talk about science. We could talk about archeology span and history and theories like evolution. We could talk about anything that might cause you to doubt. I can almost guarantee that you won't have a question that I haven't heard before. But beyond all of that, I just know that Jesus saves. I know it because I've experienced it. And I've seen confirmation after confirmation after confirmation. I believe that his word is true. I believe that his grace is enough. I believe that the cross is real and that the resurrection really happened. And if you haven't made the decision to trust in him, that is your starting point. Because his grace will change your life. And in the same way, his grace will radically change your relationships.
Right. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we come to you today and we thank you so much for your grace. God, for anyone here this morning who might be distant, for anyone here today who might be far from you, for anyone who maybe has walked away or turned their back on you, Father, we pray that your grace would amaze them this morning. I pray, God, that you would convince us just how much we need you. God, we need the one who came and lived and died for us, the one who rose again, the one who's ready to save. God, help us to understand just how much we truly need you. And we pray, God, that your grace would radically change the relationships in our lives the same way that it has radically changed our lives. God, help us to humble ourselves. We don't want to approach our relationships saying, what can I get from this? We don't want to be selfish. God, help us to depend on your wisdom. We thank you that your word is true. We thank you that you have preserved it for us so that we could learn and understand and apply your wisdom to our lives. God, and help us to show grace, even when it doesn't make sense. God, we wanna share that same grace that you have so freely given us with the other people in our lives. Help us to become the greatest grace givers. God, we just thank you for the power of your grace. We pray that you would use it to do a powerful work in our lives and in our relationships. With heads bowed and eyes closed for just a moment, maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online. I wanna ask you a simple question and the question is this, have you received the grace of God? And if your answer is no, you can say to God right now, I believe in you. I'm humbling myself today. I'm repenting of my self-reliance. I'm repenting of my misplaced trust. I'm repenting of my misplaced confidence. And I depend on you. I depend on you to forgive me. I depend on you to be my savior. I depend on the work of Jesus on the cross to pay for my sins and free me forever. You pray that prayer right now. The Bible tells us that Jesus lived the perfect life that we could not live because the we are broken because of sin. We fall short, but Jesus lived that perfect life. He died the death that we deserve to die because of his great grace. The wage of our sin is death, but Jesus died that death on our behalf. And he was buried in a tomb, but he came out of it alive to save us. And the Bible says, if you call on his name, he'll do just that. He'll restore you both now and one day in eternal, never-ending life in his presence. That's the message of the gospel. And if that's you this morning and you wanna place your faith and trust in Jesus and receive his grace today, I just wanna encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Church, let's make this our prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm asking you to forgive me today. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose from the dead so that I could be saved. So today I turn away from my sin and I invite you to come into my heart and into my life so that I can know you and trust you and follow you as my Lord and Savior. I give it all to you today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. You've been listening to the official podcast of Canyon Creek Baptist Church. If you made a decision to commit your life to Jesus or would like to get connected with Canyon Creek, visit us online at creekfamily.org forward slash connect and fill out a connect card. Thanks again for joining us.